I don't see a reason to pack food in on top of food on top of food without our stomach emptying out. Wait to eat your next meal till your stomach is empty. And the reality is if you get to the end of the day and you're like, well, shit, like I got a meal I'm about to miss, make a protein shake. Like at least hit the protein. What is happening? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Granite Podcast. I'm going to show some today. I'm going to explain in depth the biofeedback metrics that you should be tracking. I think this is going to be an extremely helpful and beneficial podcast. As always, leave us a five-star rating review. Subscribe to us on YouTube, please. It's a huge help for us. And share us with your friends. Get your notepads ready. I'll see you inside. All right, guys, I want to teach you about some biofeedback metrics that I believe you should be tracking, whether it be in yourself and the athletes that you coach. I think these can help make you a better coach and a better athlete right off the rip. Number one is a super low barrier to entry, low hanging fruit, because everyone's tracking it now, even though I'm not quite sure everyone knows exactly what it means. What is our blood glucose? So I love tracking blood glucose. Our fasted blood glucose gives us a portion of the story. And that's commonly what I have my athletes send in their check-ins. But when we start pushing food or pushing for a stress mitigation or pushing for a certain training outcome, I'm going to have my athletes send me postprandial blood glucose readings. What this looks like, 90 minutes after your meals throughout the day, you are going to monitor your blood glucose, so pull out your glucometer, you're going to carry it with you everywhere you go on the day, and you're going to track down in a note sheet what your blood glucose reading is 90 minutes after all your meals. So finish a meal, set a 90-minute timer, and let's see. What we want to see, I want to see that number as close to 90 as possible. So over 100 is like a, a you know pre diabetic range. I really love, you know, 90 is my threshold of like, okay, this is a really acceptable range. I love low eighties, high seventies, low eighties. I find that that's where people are really doing well in terms of their food processing, mental clarity, training output, things of the like, right? That being said, there's a time and a place. Sometimes, uh, like my athlete Isaiah right now, I mean, we're pushing up to 280. We're pushing new body weight highs. So he's over 100. I think he was at 102 yesterday, and, and his check-in was like 279.6 pounds. He's over 102. Like, dude, he's smashing 6,000 calories a day. At that point, yeah, your blood glucose is going to be a little bit high. And like, there's definitely things we can do, like utilizing insulin around training is something I love doing. I don't like using insulin all day because, as I've discussed in previous podcasts, I don't want to just have high insulin all day. I want to have high and low insulin. And even fast-acting insulins are going to elevate your 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 um, insulin response for about an hour and a half to two and a half hours. So like, if we're dosing out with every meal, then basically we have high insulin the, the entire time we're eating meals, right? I, I, I also just think that we should allow the body to just like do its its thing. So there's a time and a place to use long-acting insulin. There's a time and a place to use short-acting insulins. But this is about insulin. This is just about biofeedback measures. So if our blood glucose is consistently over 100 and we're not in a place with our body composition or with our bodybuilding goals to warrant being over 100, well... We need, to, we need to correct that. We need to fix that. We need to figure out what's going on. It could be a stress response. Remember, when our stress is high, our, our cortisol is going to be high. Our body is going to try to overshoot that by releasing insulin. Insulin has to have something to grab onto and mobilize. That's how it works the best. So there's going to be glucose going around the bloodstream to help that insulin have some effect. 
all, all just to bring your cortisol back down. So this is why if we just stress mitigate ourselves through, you know, the, the, the work that we do, um, you know, within meditation or um, within just disconnecting from, you know, life or whatever is stressing us out, it's much healthier than relying on our body to overshoot these things. So there's a huge stress response uh, that blood glucose can measure. But the reality, what I want to see is how's our body processing food? If 90 minutes after every meal, we're going to be under 100 or even under 90, I bet we can handle some more food and get the same body composition effects, but maybe we're going to be able to have a higher metabolic output. If the foods handle well, we directly will. Maybe we can have more training effort due to having more energy into our training sessions, things of the like. So Blood glucose is a very important biofeedback measure that you should track. Resting heart rate and heart rate variability. So resting heart rate, if if you're, you know, a female that's 140 pounds, you're waking up with your heart rate constantly over 70, you're not using like clenbuterol and whatnot, like dude, you're stressed. Like that that's too high. Um, I think for a female that's not utilizing, you know, fat burning stimulants. We should we should be 65 or under all the time, and you know ideally we should be right around that 60 mark. For a guy, if you're if you're a rather muscled individual, obviously it's going to be higher because there's more that the blood supply, the oxygen delivery, the nutrient supply of your body has to deliver to right. So the more muscle you have, the higher your resting heart rate is likely going to be. That being said, I don't think we should be guys waking up like over 75 beats a minute, like fresh out of bed and like we're crushing 75, 80 beats per minute. That's probably a little bit high. We need to look into what's going on there. Could be a stress response, could be stimulant response, could be caffeine intake, um, you know, whatever. It could be poor sleep. Poor sleep plays directly into our heart rate variability and our resting heart rate in the morning. So if we're having poor sleep, well, obviously we're having poor recovery. But if we're sleeping the whole night and we're never getting into a a state that allows our heart rate to be like rested and somewhat low and not just pounding out of our chest the whole time, our ability to get into REM sleep is definitely greatly diminished by that. You're probably going to have more neural activity than we'd like to have. And we're, we're not going to be able to, to get the quality needed in order to ensure that we are constantly waking up primed mentally and primed physically ready to go um, and ready to push our body. Digestion is a huge one. Okay. It is normal to bloat, especially in a bodybuilding diet when you're consuming a lot of protein. There's going to be some fruits. There's going to be some veggies. There's a lot of water. It's normal to have bloat. Now, if we chug a quarter gallon of water and we have a 700-gram meal, do you think your stomach's going to feel empty after that? It's not going to. It's, It's just not. Like Your stomach responds to what is inside of it. And at that time, we just chugged a quarter gallon of water. We have a 700-gram meal. We just put, what, like 1,100 grams of weight inside of our stomach. Yeah, you're probably not going to feel like super empty. The reality is, how do we feel 30, 45, 60 minutes after consuming that? Things should return back down to normal. I also will say, I, 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 we don't need to be slamming water with our meals. Every time we're slamming water with our meals, especially, like, so our mouth salivates when we anticipate food coming or something tasty coming. 
That saliva is filled with digestive enzymes that as soon as that food hits your tongue, they're going to start breaking down what you're ingesting. And as it goes down your esophagus, it goes down all the way into your stomach. Every single, uh, every inch of movement that it goes down from your mouth into your stomach, there's digestive processes that are occurring. And if we're slamming water throughout an entire meal, we're really taking a lot of that down. We're flushing down a lot of those enzymes, flushing down saliva, and it's going to, you know, the food's going to get into your stomach more put together, or maybe I should say less broken down than your stomach would like to accept it in. And now your stomach has to make up for that. So keep that in mind when we're consuming food. Like personally, I like having some water about 10 minutes before I eat. And then I try to crush my meal without much water. And like, yeah, there's definitely times it's difficult. Like right now, especially when food's pretty high, but I don't want to like drink a lot of water until after my meal is done. And then, you know, I, I want to catch up on some water because your meal should be rather heavily salted. So if you finish a whole meal, you didn't have, um, you know, much water with it, you're going to come out of that meal pretty thirsty. And at that point, I like bringing in, you know, water that the digestive process is already occurring and the stomach got all the help that it can get before it got in there, right? <clears throat> If we constantly have delayed digestion, bringing in digestive enzymes, bringing in probiotic. I love New New Ethics Flora Protect. That's my favorite probiotic. You can use code Mahalia at checkout. And Thorn has a Biogest supplement that I take with all of my off meals or really, really big meals. I take that Thorn Biogest. I take three caps of it, and it is absolutely phenomenal. I don't have a code with them, but it can really help us out. What foods are making you feel what from them? So if you eat a meal, you don't feel well from it. Like you eat some oatmeal and you go, you know, hypoglycemic 40 minutes after. Well, that's not good. You eat berries and you go hypoglycemic. That's not good. What foods make you feel good? And this is just a simple process of being in tune with what the hell's going on in your body. I think people just go through so blindly. They just, they just don't feel anything. And like, it doesn't really make any sense to me. And then like you ask for feedback from them and they have no clue what to say or what to give. Like it's not super helpful, right? What is going on when you finish a meal and then an hour after that meal, two hours after that meal, how are you feeling? Do you feel energized? Do you get a little bit of a pump from it? Like, do you feel good or do you not feel good? It's really straightforward and to the point in my opinion. How long after a meal is your stomach feeling empty? Like, when do we feel we are ready to accept food again? For 90% of my athletes, for any one of my athletes that's not a guy that's trying to pack on a shit ton of muscle or an open bodybuilder, I don't see why we, we, I don't see a reason to pack food in on top of food, on top of food without our stomach emptying out. Wait to eat your next meal till your stomach is empty. And the reality is if you get to the end of the day and you're like, well, shit, like I got a meal I'm about to miss, make a protein shake. Like at least hit the protein. But the reality is if, if we're just crushing food on top of food on top of food and we're never giving our stomach a chance to really empty itself out, are we really helping ourselves? Are we really promoting growth with that? I don't really think that we are. I think more than anything, we're just promoting digestive issues to occur. And I mean- once digestive issues start occurring, the assimilation and the utilization of nutrients from our gut is just not going to be near as good um, as it is with having clear and healthy digestion. Something so common, like, oh my gosh, like I'm gassy, like my, my gas smells like sulfur. So this is commonly an adaptation component to having a higher protein diet within bodybuilding. And when you're in bodybuilding, 
you're consuming a lot of protein. Proteins, animal proteins have a lot of sulfur in them. Some cruciferous vegetables do as well, like broccoli, cauliflower. I'm not a big fan of those, but I know I had Jason Theobald on and he said he liked them. So like if they're super well done, then, um, you know, I, I, I'm cool with it, but they do have a high sulfur content. But if you're eating a bunch of, of um, protein, there's going to be an element of gassiness that comes with that. Now, our body should adjust to it. But something else that I notice is oftentimes people eat so fast that they're taking in so much air with what, with, while they're consuming or they're chugging water like I talked about a little bit ago that they're just trapping gas. That, the air, you swallow it, it goes into your stomach. Like, what do you think it is? It's, it's going to come out as gas. It's going to create air bubbles and it's going to pass through your bowels as gas. Okay. So I see it. We're eating too fast. Or if you're talking while eating, if you're having a conversation while eating a meal, you're absolutely going to be taking in air with that meal. And that's going to cause gassiness. If we have actual gassiness that's occurring from a certain food source we're taking in, we're going to feel some constipation or some bloat. We're like, we're going to feel some discomfort from what that food source is. Okay. So the gassiness or the sulfur is usually just simply from poor eating hygiene. Um, like we want to sit down and enjoy a meal. We don't want to work. It's ideal to not like have a full blown, like fast conversation back and forth while we're consuming. Um, we want to allow our body to be as, as parasympathetic as possible to be able to accept and digest the food. Now I know that that's in a perfect state. No, I don't do that with every meal. I'm not fucking perfect. Hell, I have five meals a day and I work for every single one of them. <laughs> but honestly, like I use the new ethics for protect. I use the thorn biogest with each meal and it's done phenomenal for me on top of the greens in the morning. I am a stickler with greens in the morning, the new ethics gourmet greens. If you're not using those, you need to be using those. And yes, they're better than whatever greens powder that you are using now. And I promise you that I would pitch that away. I would go to newethics.com. Put the gourmet greens in the floor, protecting your cart. Use code Mahaley and have a healthier gut. Energy throughout your training session. We're going to get tired as we train hard, but we shouldn't crash. But there's a stipulation. What time of day are we training? If we're training after 3 p.m., yeah, dude, you're probably going to have a crash because now we're training, which is driving cortisol up after our cortisol peaked at like 10, 11 a.m. And we're driving court. And so now after it peaks, it starts coming back down. Right. So our cortisol is doing this, it's doing this, it's doing this. And now we're fucking training and now it has to go back up. Well, I mean, dude, we don't just have this unlimited adrenal response. Right. So at some point in your training session, if you're training after 3 p.m., yeah, dude, it's going to it's going to drop off. And if you train, you know, that way every single day, you're probably going to go into the weekends because now at this point, you're kind of reinforcing to your body that, hey, you know, during my heavy output session, cortisol drops off. So we might go into a weekend where maybe we can train at like 10 or 11 or a more normal time and we still have that drop off. It's because that's kind of what we've taught our body to do. The body's unbelievably resilient. It's an insanely resilient machine. That being said, for some of us, that's the best we can do is we can train at that time because that's the only time of the day that it fits and that is perfectly okay and it's very acceptable, okay? We can't get lost too much in the minutia. What I would suggest a non-stem pre-powder can be very beneficial. I love using adaptogens. Um, like I would like using the Morphogen Nutrition um, uh, adaptogen before. 
um, a training session. I think that can be super beneficial. Something like a Cialis can be very beneficial for as it's a vasodilator and it's going to help us be able to maintain a pump. And the reality is, if we have a pump in the training in our training session, we simply feel better about ourselves. And there's so many people that'll comment on some grower die podcast, IG posts or whatever, like a pump doesn't matter. Pump, there's no research, and they're always fucking under muscle little boys sitting behind a, t- a, a computer screen talking about fucking research, and they don't even know how to fucking read research. Like, who was the target population of this research? Who was used in this research? It. If it wasn't fucking massive bodybuilders, then it just doesn't apply to what massive bodybuilders are doing, and people won't be able to grasp that concept in their pea-sized brain, and I understand it's a tough concept to grasp, but that's like saying that there's a junior varsity quarterback that should be able to make the same throws as fucking uh, as Patrick Mahomes is making in the NFL on Sundays. No, there's levels to this shit, and your body changes. Your body changes from a cellular level. The chemistry of the way your body operates and just lives as a being changes the more and more muscle you put on, the more higher trained you are and and better physical condition you are, the better mental condition you are. This changes your body. So if you're taking research that was focused around men who are beginners in the gym and you think that that correlates whatsoever, you're a fucking idiot. Anyways, focus into the sets. If we're training and we're training hard, are we able to maintain focus? Are we able to maintain this this lock in this neuromuscular connection on the muscle that we're trying to chain chain train throughout our entire training session? If we're not, then we there's some things we might want to look at. There's some things that we might want to do. At this point, I really like using a nootropic. A nootropic is going to lock you in. There's one called Laser Focus. JT Pelkey put me onto it. Phenomenal dude. A-plus fucking guy. Great, great competitor. Um, he, he's an avid grower die listener, too. So, JT, shout out. But, man, the, the Laser Focus that you put me onto, bro, it is next level. And so, I'll run that. So, I'll have days of Laser Focus. I'll have days where I use caffeine. I'll have days where I use Adderall, right? And, like through utilizing these tools to my advantage, I do two of each of those a week. And it allows me to keep the dosage of all of those things much lower without having this adaptation period. It allows me to have one day off of all of them a week. Um, and on it, I mean, I haven't increased the dosage of any of those things. And well, since JT told me about, about the uh, laser focus, which w- would have been Chicago pro last year, um, whenever that was maybe July or, June or something like that. I I have used the same dosages of all of these things since that time. So it's very, very great supplement. It's something I would highly recommend if we're struggling with focus going into our training sessions. Yes, if you're an athlete of mine, you're listening to this, you do not need to WhatsApp me, ask me if you can add this in. You absolutely can, but I do prefer to use this without stimulants on the day. Adrenaline management. Are we driving to the gym? Listen to the crazy, upbeat, intense music. All right. Again, this is something I've talked about before. And a bunch of tiny little muscled individuals told me that I was crazy for it. Adrenaline is a massive part of our training. But controlling our adrenaline response is an even more massive part of our training. Knowing when to push that fucking lever and drive this set into an extremely dark place and deep place versus knowing when we can maintain some adrenaline here because of the nature of whatever exercise we're doing. Maybe it's a fucking like 
Maybe it's a bicep preacher curl. Do we really need to unload our adrenaline on that? Because we're not going to get more reps by unloading adrenaline into that than we are just doing it in a calm, tame manner. Versus a bilateral dumbbell bent over row, that's when we want to fucking send it. And that's when we want to manage our adrenaline to be of a higher response and drive it through to be able to, 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 to crush that set. Adrenaline management's a huge deal. Stay calm until it's time to be a fucking animal. And then you obviously unleash at that point. Pumps in the gym, this is a massive component. Like I said earlier, tiny people say that pumps don't matter. Pumps absolutely matter. It tells you if you're hydrated. If you're not properly hydrated, and understand hydration is more than just water. It's our sodium and potassium levels as well. If you're not properly hydrated, you're not going to have a good pump. It doesn't matter how fucking flat you are. A pump has nothing to do with your fucking carbohydrate intake. You can be on no carbs in a prep and still get a pump. I, I mean, I mean, shit, guys. This is like really. I, I, I don't know where this misconception came from. I don't have carbs, so I'm flat. You're not fucking flat. First of all, people saying that they're flat are very rarely flat. Like I, I should post up a picture of what's flat versus what's per, what's perceived flat versus actual flat. Rest periods is another big one. If we're out resting our pump. I'm not 100% sure that's super conducive due to the neurological connection that we get from a pump. A muscle that is more engorged with blood, with nutrients, is easier to connect with than one that's not. Um, our nutrient delivery is a huge deal during training, especially using intra-training nutrition, utilizing insulin, which if we're using those two, we should have a nasty pump anyways. Um our nutrient delivery is a huge fucking deal during training because, again, we want to deliver things that can be readily used right now in the muscle being trained so that we can prolong our training session. And how long does your pump last? If you just hit a pump and it's gone after a minute, well, we're either too fat, we're underhydrated, we're undersalted, or honestly, our effort just wasn't there. That happens. You go into the gym. And you can't hold a pump for more than a minute. It's it might be effort related. It might be salt related. It might be water related. It might be body fat related. Like I said, but the reality is, there's not some physiological crazy thing going on that's inhibiting you from getting a pump. We just simply need to hydrate better. Maybe get a little bit leaner and and take a set further. Because the reality is, if you're forcing your body to pump blood into a specific muscle. And, and, and you're not constricting, you know, you're, you're, you're not vasoconstricting yourself due to stimulant abuse, which some people also don't believe is real. It's absolutely mind numbing what happens out there. Then we're going to have a pump. So if you're forcing your body to have a pump, it's going to pump. Sleep feedback. If your sleep quality is low, your stress is usually high. So what do we need to do? Do we need to take some ashwagandha? I wouldn't run or run ashwagandha for more than about six weeks at a time. I love utilizing um, theanine, magnesium, threonate, um, a pinogen before bed. That's a Huberman sleep stack. It's very beneficial. I love using a Delta 8 or a CBD before bed. I think it's very beneficial for me personally. I don't like smoking weed close to bed. It definitely disrupts our REM sleep. I usually cut weed out about an hour, hour and a half before bed. Um, hey, some nice stress is high. I'm going to have a glass of red wine, man. I'm going to have a fine glass of vino before I head to bed because I just like feel this cold, this whole body calm and release from that. And the reality is if you're having three ounces of wine a couple nights a week, it's just not that huge of a deal in terms of the overall alcohol consumption. In my opinion, if we have poor sleep, we have poor recovery. So if we're consistent, if we're habitually sleeping poorly, then we're going to be under-recovered and we're going to have to mitigate that with extra you know, recovery and, and, and rest days and things like that. Use mouth tape. 
use your eye mask, use your nasal strips every single night. It will completely change your life. How many stories have I shared on Instagram of people tagging Ross and I from the, the second to last podcast we did where we shared this secret? Eye mask, nasal strip, mouth tape. Try it out and you will never sleep another way again. Add in, add in some, some sound in there. Get a hatch sound machine. Uh, my, my friend uh, Brad Jensen sent me one after I, did a, I was on his podcast about a year and a half ago and it completely changed my life. I now have three hatch sound machines. <laughs> I travel with one of them and I have two of them set up in my room. They're absolutely phenomenal. Our blood pressure is a direct measurement of cardiac health. It's the easiest, lowest barrier to entry we can get to our cardiac health. It also tells us about hypertrophy of the heart. If we're constantly running, if we're running a high cycle and our blood pressure is extremely elevated, like I'm talking like over a 145, over 90 for a prolonged period of time, we are causing hypertrophy of the heart period point blank in a discussion. And if you're over muscled already, then your heart is already going to be prone to undergoing hypertrophy. And we know left ventricle hypertrophy is obviously correlated to a lot of mortality risk uh, within men and women, uh, mainly men, just due to the fact that they commonly have this issue happen more than women do. So blood pressure is extremely important. Make sure it's in a good range. 130 over 80 max. We can run heavy cycles and still be 120 over 70. I promise I've seen it. I do it. It's happening in real time. I have check-ins on my phone waiting to hear back from me right now while I'm recording this that are going to be in that range. Measurements. Measurements are so important. Waist, shoulders, glutes, arms, legs. Make sure the waist is moving the slowest out of all of them. This is super simple stuff. If we go back every four weeks, we should see the waist have less have less movement than our glutes and our legs and our shoulders and um, our arms. If the waist is progressing faster than any of them, then we need to mitigate. Add some cardio, pull back some food, train fucking harder. Like that's your number one, really. But we don't want to see the waist going up in this this you know huge measurements every. You know, every update, like it shouldn't go up very much over the course of a month. If everything else is going up a total of one inch, let's say, I think our waist should be going up maybe like 0.2 inches or a 10th of an inch. And that's in the peak of a growing phase. But once our waist, you know, when, when we're in a good body composition where we're lean and off season, I want to keep our waist within about an inch of that. So I don't want it to go up or down an inch. I know that we can be right here. We're at a good body composition and we can push growth real hard from there. When you are in prep, the contractions in your posing matter greatly. If you are not feeling the muscle you are flexing, you are too fatigued. And this happened to me in my last prep. I was flexing. I was going throughout my poses and I couldn't fucking feel anything. And, you know, communicate this and whatever your coach says, that's exactly what you do. But I remember there were many, many times I could feel nothing. And personally, I don't like my athletes getting to a place where they can't feel the contractions. At that point, I know that not necessarily we need to refeed, but at that point, I know something needs to happen. Maybe we need to rest from cardio. Maybe we need to rest from training. Maybe we need to up sodium. Maybe we need to do whatever it is, dude. But we should not be at a place where we just can't feel the muscles contracting. Like I said, I was definitely there in my prep around the time where I was starting to get over dieted. I wasn't super happy about it, but at the end of the day, you got to get peeled. Right. And that's, that's, you know, unfortunately what I did at that point to get fucking peeled. Your neural recovery is a big deal too. mind muscle connection. That's a very real thing. It matters outside of the gym as well. If we're not feeling things very well when we're going through our posing, then neurologically, maybe we're a little too taxed. And again, what do we want to do? We need to pull things back there. 
Like, I don't, I, there's a time and a place to push and there's a time and a place to pull. And I think if we're not feeling the muscles that we are actively flexing, it's time to pull back, period. That's a massive stress response. And the last one I want to cover with you guys is sweating in the gym or during cardio. When we are in a cut, if we notice a drop off in sweating, that is a thyroid activity variable. That means that our thyroid has dropped off a little bit, and that is something that we have to respond and try to mitigate as soon as possible. Prepping with New Ethics Thyro Boost Plus and Thyro Boost Essentials is extremely beneficial for us. Use code Mahaley at checkout to support your boy, even when we get T3 and T4 involved. So we have all these things in here at play, the T3, T4, Thyro Boost Essentials. I guarantee that you are going to see the sweating and the thyroid the thyroid activity stick around and 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 you know be something that we're able to work with throughout the entire prep. If thyroid activity drops off, we're not going to be able to drop very much body fat and neurologically we're not doing very well either. These are biofeedback metrics you have to track. I hope this helps. I'll see you next time. 